Welcome to the program. Welcome to the program. My name is Willie Lawson. Thank you ever so much for stopping by and spending some time, um, especially for those of you on Blog Talk Radio that have um, listened to the past few programs. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, just to sort of give you a, a, a heads up on what you're seeing is that I'm coming in late from work and actually pre-recording the um, pre-recording the programs and uploading them which is why you don't see notification of live programs. I've not done a live program in a minute. Um, and it's because it's just faster, quicker, easier, frankly, to just record it on Audacity and upload it. So I've been doing that. And it is sort of the traditional way of doing podcasting, um, not the more interactive way of doing online radio, which is a huge difference, and I understand that. Um, just to give you a heads up that that's kind of what's going on. Now, there have been <clears throat> some financial hiccups that have basically got me down to one platform at this point. So this is the easiest way to upload to the other platforms as well. So so I can get the program on Google Podcast and that kind of thing. So this is why I'm doing it this way, uh, because I can't record double at the same time and, do, and go live on Blog Talk Radio and upload the... Uh, the that, that that feed that I'm getting on Blog Talk Radio very nicely to to Anchor and the like. So it's just easier, frankly, for me to pre-record the program, upload it to Anchor, upload it to Blog Talk Radio, and then take a nap. <laughs> so I'm doing it that way. Well, again, I I hope that you will enjoy this program. Um, I've got a, a few things that I want to I want to cover in the time that we have. I want to first cover some of the more pertinent things that are out there. Uh, The squad, hashtag squad versus uh, at real Donald Trump, because right now this is this is the battle and media would have you believe that this is a battle royale. This this will be the the thing that can bring down the Trump presidency and prevent the uh, president from being reelected. And um, well, we'll talk about that. Um, Secondly, I'd like to talk about how black am I? And who gets to decide? I did a program on this a long time ago. Golly, probably eight, nine years ago. And, of course, Ayanna Presley, Representative Presley, one of the squad, basically says in a campaign speech that we don't need any more black faces that won't be black voices. Well, I'm really getting tired. And my friend Melanie Collette, Collette said, it, said it perfectly on on. Facebook that I'm really getting tired of black people telling me how, how to be black. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, something else that is near and dear to my heart because I spent 15 years in in the Hillsborough County public school system. I know every time I sound, say it that way, it sounds like I was I was locked up. But I was, you know, I was an assistant teacher and I was a lab manager and I worked in the guidance department and. I did some assistant band directing. I, I, you know, I did a lot of things in the system for for fifteen years, and um, teachers are struggling. I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to say, teachers are struggling. With less, less than a month to go before school comes back into session, teachers are struggling. Let's talk about why. All right, now, and I'm going to finish up with um, things that people value. A lot of the problems, discussions, things that we've got going on in our nation is because of what people value. It really is. What do you think is important? Who do you think is important? So this is part of our division that you see, and it's simply a division based on what people value or what people are told they should value. That's what we're going to talk about today. So again, thank you again for coming to the program. We appreciate it. Uh, We'll be back right after these messages. When it comes to parenting, there are no perfect answers. But that's okay, because you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on adoption, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Tom has been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, I think one of the students had asked the question, and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. I was really starting to worry. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. 
Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. All right. Um, thanks so much. We're back. We appreciate um, you being here this glorious afternoon. Well, the thing that's been in the news cycle um, the past couple of days is the squad versus at real Donald Trump. Now, there was a tweet that the president sent out that basically said if these women, um, Representative Representatives Omar, Talib, Ocasio, and Presley didn't like, you know, America, they could leave. They could go back to where they came from, is what, is what the tweet said. Well, the problem is their problem is, and our problem is they're freaking all from here. Um, that's the problem. But it was another opportunity for President Trump to be dumped on as a racist because what he said was something negative to a group of women of color. Now, uh, now we're going to do another program on. Uh, I want to do a live program or interview with my friend Kira Davis. She wrote a great piece recently on how this whole idea of women of color has supplanted this. I mean, just the phrase has supplanted uh, black people in America. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it like that, did you? Uh, people are people who are, quote, people of color. Um, now are black and brown people. I love that phrase. So, so now we're trying to glom, you know, now Hispanics are glomming on. Anybody who isn't Caucasian is now glomming on to the struggles of the civil, right, civil rights uh, movement in America and now are on the same plane as American blacks. The same plane, the same victim plane, the same um, plane of struggle as black Americans. When, frankly, if you look at their history in the country, um, they're nowhere on that plane. They're nowhere near that. But black people and black and, and so-called black leaders are allowing it more and more to happen. And it only seems that black conservatives are saying no to that. It's kind of, it's kind of a weird dynamic, isn't it? In any case, so uh, the idea of, of now the president has said something negative against women of color. So that in in of itself makes him racist. So they've been so they've been throwing this racist word around um, like it's spaghetti, trying to get it to stick to the wall, trying to get it to stick to Trump. They tried it in 2015, and most of 2016, Trump is still the the president. You know, you have people like Joy Behar on The View, moron, asking aloud on national television if Trump could be brought up on charges of hate speech. I don't know if anybody's told Joy that hate speech, first of all, we are, I'm not even sure it's a thing, only in the social media world, only in the world of mainstream media, it's not a thing. It's not a crime. There's no such crime as hate speech, let alone be brought up on charges. Because I have to wonder, again, I have to wonder if Representative uh, Al Green from Texas understands that too. If he understands that too. Because that, he is emboldened, he was emboldened a couple of days ago to bring up impeachment hearings on the president based on the tweet that the Congress of the United States, the House of Representatives, uh, voted on a resolution to basically wag their finger at President Trump. It is, is Dadaism. It is completely the, the, the land of the absurd at this point. Because what these folks want you to get, what they want the American people to embrace is that racism is first of all being a racist is the absolute worst thing you can be I would like to submit that it is not that being a racist is not in any way shape or form the worst thing you can be there are all sorts of things you can be 
and racist is not the worst among them. A rapist, a murderer, are are just two easy off the top off the top of my head. A thief. You know what I'm saying? So there are much things, there are things, excuse me, there are much more worse things, much more worse things. There are things that are much worse. I got it. I speak English, kind of, sort of, that are worse than being a racist. Being a racist in America is completely and totally legal, by the way. Did you know that? Completely and totally legal. There are no laws that say that we have to, I have to like white people. There are no laws that say that I can't speak ill of white people. So what So what the academics have done said, well, you know what? If you're not the majority, you can't be racist. So what they're saying is the most racist thing ever. Only white people can be racist. Is that the most racist you ever heard? Only white people can be racist. which is basically saying that everybody else is superior to white people because white people can only white people can be racist. And of course that's got white liberals in a quandary. They don't know what to do. They don't know whether to crap or go blind because what they need to do is call out racism at every turn. So they're down with the cause. Although only they themselves can be racist. This is why you get Rachel Dolezal, who's trying desperately not to be white. This is why you get um, Sean King, who is trying desperately not to be white. So now you've got the squad, hashtag squad, versus real, at real Donald Trump. I'm going to tell you how this is going to work out. The president is going to get reelected in 2020. Uh, less than less than two of the squad is going to get reelected. I believe that Alexandria Ocasio Cortez will not be reelected to Congress. I'll be very, very, very surprised if that happens in 2020 because these women are are acting like they're not running for Congress. Oh, by the way, if you um, miss that day in your American government class. Those in the House of Representatives have to run every two years, which is problematical, but it is constitutional. Uh, They have to run every two years. So you get a year of doing stuff and you get a year of campaigning. This is their year of campaigning. And they are all horrifically unpopular in their districts. Horrifically unpopular. And basically because they broke the rule. The, the, The rule is that you've not brought anything back to your district at all. You've maintained a lot of public uh, notoriety, but you've not brought one single thing back to your district. So uh, in uh, Representative Ocasio-Cortez's case, there are Republicans. There's a Jamaican Republican running against her. Jamaican Republican. Yeah, man running against her. There's a bevy of Democrats running against her who are, who are going to primary her. She's got, she's got a tough road and she has called the speaker of the house, Nancy Pelosi, a racist or as much as a racist. So the, the getting, getting support from the national Democrat party is going to be, it's going to be tough. It's going to be touch and go. It's going to be tough um, to get money. So unless she is funded by some outside foreign source, it's going to be tough for her to get reelected. And if only two of the four of those women are reelected, then what we're going to see is another win for Donald Trump. Now, I remember now a couple of days ago, I did a Facebook live and I talked about this whole idea of impeachment of, the, uh, of President Trump. What Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Steny Hoyer and Others note Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and I'm talking about the more seasoned people, the older people in the Democrat Party. What they know is this. They know they are only going to get one shot at the Trumpster. One shot. And if they can't make it stick, it's over. He will at that point become 
completely and totally impervious to anything they try to do. Even after this tweet statement, his approval rating, the Trumpster's approval rating among Republicans has increased. Now, it did drop a little bit with Democrats and independents. So he has the same, if not a little bit higher, approval rating than he did before. And it's because a lot of people are tired of the hypercritical. They want to see they want to see good things happen. They want to see good things said. They're tired of the hypercritical. We've turned into a country that snarky and critical is deemed as intelligent when it's just snarky and hypercritical. And um, they, they like it when the president slaps them down, slaps these people down. And they don't look at it as racist. They don't look at it as misogynistic. They don't look at it as any of those things. They look at it, finally, someone is saying out loud what I'm thinking. This is, this is the part that, that the left miss. Finally, someone is saying out loud what I've been thinking. One of the latest polls on the, the approval rating of President Trump with black people is that his approval rating is, is at 36% or something ridiculously high like that. Why? And it's for the very same reason. It's finally somebody is saying what I've been feeling and I've been thinking. Finally, somebody is saying that they that, you know what, it is more important to deal with and help people who are born in this country, including black people, than people who are not born in this country. Finally, somebody is saying that out loud. Finally, we have a president who's saying that for eight years. We had a president who was black who should have been saying it, who damn sure wasn't. And as much as that is painful to a lot of black people in America, they will have to admit to you when approached with that very statement that that happens to be the truth. That Cornell West even mentioned that President Obama has done had good, good things for, in his words, this is Cornell West, West's terms, um, the LGBT, our LGBTQ sisters and brothers, while black people have been relegated again to the back of the bus. Even Cornell, even Cornell West said that. And he said it because it's true. Because it's true. Which is a shame. Because it's true. All right, so there there is there is that. Trump wins if especially if two of those four members of the squad do not get reelected and I think that Maybe Tlaib, well, maybe Tlaib does because she's the one that used the MF term. Um, however, maybe Omar doesn't. Omar is a, is a woman who married her brother to keep her brother in the country. A lot of people think that, uh, you know, no, she wasn't having sex with her brother, but she did marry her brother. She did break immigration laws to keep her brother in the country. She married him. And in this culture, you can't marry your brother. I don't think you can. I don't think it's legal to marry your brother. To knowingly marry your brother, uh, I think that if you marry a dude and you find out later that they happen to be your brother because you never met them or you never met your parents because you were adopted or some circumstance and you ended up marrying your brother, I don't think anyone's going to grab you and throw you in the hooskow because of it. But I don't think you can knowingly marry your brother. I don't think that we have devolved to that level. I don't think so. But in any case, well, that is yet to be found out. Uh, and again, Ocasio-Cortez is, um, she has way too many, many challengers at this point. She's had challengers since, uh, golly, almost her first statement after getting reelected. Other people have been gathering up resources to run against her. So I don't think that we'll be having to deal with her as a congresswoman for very much longer. All right, we're going to take another little break. We'll be back with more of the program right after these messages. Hey, y'all, Jeff Foxworthy here. Now, if you've ever found yourself repeating the same thing over and over for 75 years, you might be 
Smokey Bear. Only you can prevent wildfires. That's why I'm filling in for Smokey to switch things up, because there's a lot more to say. And I should know because my grandfather was a firefighter. And one of the things he taught me is that the people that love the outdoors the most are often the ones accidentally starting wildfires, which means always BYOB. <laughs> no, bring your own bucket to the campfire. And be extra careful with things like burning yard trimmings. Don't just walk away, or chances are you might be starting a wildfire. So for the love of the outdoors, go to SmokeyBear.com to learn more about wildfire prevention. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. When is the best time to talk to your family about staying in touch during a disaster? When floodwaters reach your door? When wildfires are engulfing the edge of your neighborhood? Or an earthquake is destroying buildings? When a tornado is tearing through town? Or a hurricane strikes? Or is the best time, perhaps, today? During a disaster, you may not be able to stay in touch with your family or friends as easily as you think. And it's not always as simple as using your cell phone. That's why now is the time to take action. Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. All right. Well, again, thank you ever so much for coming to the program. We appreciate you being here today. Listen, if you will do me a favor, please let me know where you heard the program by sending me an email at WLS860 at gmail.com. That's WLS860 at gmail.com. I'd love to hear where you heard the, heard the program and on what format. Appreciate that. Alrighty, so let's get started. You know, Ayanna Presley, one of the um, squad in a campaign speech, was was rallying up the crowd and part of her speech was that we don't need, I'm not sure who we is, we don't need any more black faces who are not black voices. We don't need any more LGBT faces that are not LGBT voices. We don't need any more brown faces that aren't brown voices. Now, (laughs) what is super interesting, What is super interesting is this. What's super interesting is that Republicans and conservatives and at real Donald Trump always get, always get um, charged with being divisive, turning people against one another. That is the biggest charge that we that Donald Trump doesn't bring people together, that the Republicans and conservatives don't bring people together. How 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 many times have you heard that? How many times have you heard that? You know, I was I was doing one of those pro those polls, those quizzes that says I side with. Have you, have you been on the I side with app? Uh, it's interesting. It gives you a bunch of questions about all sorts of things, and then it tells you the candidate based on what they think they've said that you most agree with. It's kind of fun. And of course, right now I am. It's interesting because I think I'm fifty-fifty Donald Trump and Don Kasich. And maybe if times were different, and I'll be honest with you, maybe if times were different, I would be more John Kasich, maybe. But things aren't different. Things are what they are. So if we were in a more genteel time where where we had more honest brokers on both sides, quite frankly, maybe I would be more John Kasich, but I'm not. So of those two... Of those two men, I'm more Donald Trump right now because I think that Donald Trump is the president that we need. May not, maybe not the president that we wanted, but right now I think he may be the president that we needed. And I don't see any changes in the next few months, frankly. So there you go. All righty. Um, so she says that 
we need, we don't need any black faces who aren't going to be black voices. We don't need any brown faces that aren't that, that aren't going to be brown voices. We don't need any LGBT faces that aren't going to be LGBT voices. It is interesting that she, without stuttering a bit, was able to divide people into categories easily and simply and effortlessly. Well, frankly, it's because that's what the left does. The left thinks about everybody as a voting block, not as individuals who are going through individual struggles, not individuals who have their own mind and can have their own opinion and can have their own choice. The only thing that they want you to be able to choose is to murder a baby in utero. That's all they want you to be able to choose. Any other choices they'll make for you, thank you, including what you should think about and who you should vote for and what you should say based on your face. (laughs) That sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But what Ayanna Presley is saying that based on your face, based on what you look like, you should be saying these things. My friend Melanie Collette writes in a Facebook post, she is so, I'm so tired of black people telling me how to be black. Hashtag bye girl. You know, and something that my friend Kim McClinton said he's been he's been dealing with in the urban community, you know, all his life. That black people, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, black people who disagree with what, what you're saying, one of the first things they'll tell you is that you're not black enough. Like somehow you didn't go to the same elementary school they did. Like somehow you didn't go to the same middle school they did. Like somehow you didn't go to the same high school they did. That somehow you didn't live down the street from them. That somehow your parents weren't on public assistance too, just like theirs. Like somehow you didn't, your parent, your mama didn't ride the bus to get to her job as a domestic in the suburbs, just like theirs did. Like somehow your life was amazingly different than theirs. And that your experiences were amazingly different. That somehow you grew up, (laughs) you grew up with the Cleavers. You didn't grow up with the Jeffersons. You grew up with the Cleavers. You didn't grow up with the Evans. You grew up with uh, the Cleavers somehow. You grew up on some 1960s ABC sitcom full of white people. And you didn't grow up just like the Evans, just like they did. And they are blown away that you have the nerve to look at your own situation, your own family situation, your own financial situation, your own economic situation, your own educational system, and come up with your own and your own mind. And that you are brave enough to speak your own mind. Because the only thing they have to combat you with is you just trying to be white. Now, I'm not so sure how you argue against that because I've been facing it all my life. Sometimes just because you speak in the vernacular that is most accepted in the country, that in itself will put you at you just trying to be white. And that phrase has been, in my opinion, one of the most detrimental phrases of the black community in the past 50 years. It has stunted the growth of the black community more than anything I think could have in our time. And I'll tell you why. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Because what that does when you're young is everybody wants to fit in where they are. No one wants to be told you're just trying to be white. Because as a little kid, you're not trying to be white. You're trying to fit in. You're trying to be the best you can be at whatever you are. So what you're not going to do is you're not going to continue to learn the language and be able to speak it in the way that is best, which is really the tradition of W.E.D.B. DuBose and countless others. Mary McLeod Bethune, uh, people like uh, Frederick Douglass, Booker T. Washington, all incredible orators and writers could speak the language 
as eloquently as anybody who ever lived. And what these people want you to do is they don't want you to speak that like that. They don't want you to speak that well. Well, in case maybe you're going to be a pastor, right? Otherwise, you're just trying to be white. You're reading a book, just trying to be white. You're going home after school and doing your homework, just trying to be white. You turn that homework in on time. You did that essay on time correctly, got an A on it, just trying to be white. Can you see how this stunts, this has the potential to stunt the growth of a lot of young people? And if the, the growth is stunted at the elementary, middle, and high school level, the continual stunting of the, of the race is, is going to continue. Duh. Of course it is. So you want to go to college. You want to be a college man. It's like the white man. Better get on these streets and sell this, sell these narcotics, nigga. That's how you, that's how you get ahead. You better get on the street and sell these narcotics, right? You just trying to be white. You don't want to live in Compton anymore. You've seen the pain and the misery and the murder, and you ain't trying to live in Compton anymore. You're trying to live somewhere else. You've seen the drive-bys. You've been to the funeral of too many teenagers. You ain't trying to live there anymore. It's too painful. So when you try to leave, they say this to you. So you trying to be white. You, you think you're better than us now. And this continues. And this continues with phrases from Ayanna Presley that we don't need any black faces who won't be black voices. What the hell does that mean? What's the black voice? What should a black voice be saying? What should a black face be saying? Get better. We have to do better. For, for ourselves and each other, we have to do better. We have to stop blaming other people because the minute you start blaming other people, you take the responsibility off yourself and the impetus off yourself to improve. You put up roadblocks that aren't there. You have a tendency to put up roadblocks that aren't there. Not that there aren't roadblocks there. You understand what I'm saying? So this is important that you get. This part of the, of the show today is super important that you get. We must stop telling other black people how to be black people. We must stop telling other Hispanic people how to be Hispanic people. We must stop telling gay people how to be gay people and what gay people should say and what gay people should think. If we are going to live in any kind of, quote, free, in quote, society, then we've got to be free to speak our mind. Now, you don't have to like it. Let me help you. you. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to champion it. But I do get to say it. I will not be stopped by someone who says to me, the 58-year-old black man who's always lived in the inner city, who's always lived in a, in a predominantly black neighborhood, uh, or a predominantly black apartment complex or, or whatever. That somehow I'm not black enough. Black enough for who? Who do I have to be black enough for? And just because my ideas don't line up with what you've heard or what you think is, is correct or is beneficial. That doesn't have anything to do with me. That's got everything to do with you and nothing to do with me that I just see things how I see them and I have the freedom by which to say so I you know I told a lady once and this <laughs> one of the cool things about being older is you have stories um, live long enough you'll have stories y'all uh, it was during the um, 2012 election and 7-Eleven was having this thing with coffee cups they had Obama coffee cups 
and they had Mitt Romney coffee cup. Now, Mitt Rom- Romney was not nearly one of my favorite people at all. And and I and, and as it worked out, I was right. I was right about John McCain. And I was right about Mitt Romney as well. Um, so I went into my local Seven Eleven, and I got a Mitt Romney cup instead of a Barack Obama cup. Now this lady that I had never met, I didn't have any idea who she was. She said, "You know, you got the wrong cup." I said, she said, "I, I looked at her and go, excuse me." Your cup, coffee cup, you got the wrong cup. And I said to her, do you know one of the best things about your freedom? She said, what? Your freedom. This is not complicated. One of the best things about your freedom, my friends, is your freedom. Your freedom to do, your freedom to think, your freedom to say. That's one of the best things about, that is the best thing about your freedom. And so I can't be locked in to somebody else's idea of what I should think or say because of what my face looks like. There isn't anything more racist than that. Think about this. You're black, so you should be able to say this. You should only be thinking this. You should only be acting out like that. What's more stereotypical or what's more racist than that thought pattern? What's more on the plantation? Because you got to do this to keep Masa happy. And I thought about this the other day. I said, all, all Ayanna Presley is wanting me to do is to trade one master for another. She doesn't want me to be free. She doesn't want me to be liberated. She doesn't want me to be emancipated. She wants me to trade my 1860s master for my 2019 master. I'm not going to do it. I am not going to do it. And neither should you. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Willie Lawson of Fightback Media 2020. You know, I wanted to make sure that you knew that If you are ready to start a podcast and do a podcast, this Anchor platform is the quickest, easiest, best thing I have seen. I've been doing podcasting since March of 2008. I've done over 3,000 podcasts. I'm telling you, this is the best and easiest platform I've ever dealt with, either on the creation side and on the syndication side. Anchor has it down. I mean, its creation tools are super easy. You just go on, press the button, and start talking. It does. It, it like like they say, it don't get no better than that. And you know what? It's almost unfair how easy syndication is. You just let Anchor syndicate for you, and you can get on on all the platforms: Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, everywhere. Like ten or fifteen different platforms, Spotify, you uh, you just do it. It's easy. Um, Stitcher, it's easy. So uh, come on now. Um, all you have to do now, really, is what I want you to do is go to anchor.fm and get started. Or you can download the Anchor app and do the whole thing on your, on your smartphone. That's right. You can do the whole thing on your smartphone. You don't need equipment or you don't even need a computer. You can do the whole thing and sound great on your smartphone or you can go to anchor.fm and get started anchor.fm get started get started now ladies and gentlemen we're celebrating 400 years of african-american history urban game changers seeks to unite people who want to impact positive change in their communities through economic opportunities self-improvement self-awareness and self-empowerment The Urban Game Changers leadership team collectively has over 50 years of relevance in the urban conservative ideological space. The Urban Game Changers grassroots and social media platform currently has a global reach of over 5 million subscribers. We are the number one conservative organization addressing the issues directly affecting the black community. We are hosting our first annual Urban Game Changers conference on August 21st through 25th, 2019, at the Founders Inn and Spa in Virginia Beach, Virginia. 
Urban Game Changers will be part of the 400 Years of African American History Commission, established by U.S. Congress on January 8, 2018. There will be programs and activities throughout the week and weekend to recognize and highlight 400 years of contributions from African Americans. If you want more information, go to UrbanGameChangersConference.com. That's Urban GameChangersConference.com. Welcome back to the program. We appreciate you being here. Um, <clears throat> it's been quite a program, huh? If you've got anything to, to add or any, any point you'd like to make, please, please send me an email at WLS860 at gmail.com. That's WLS860 at gmail.com. Dot com. I'd love to hear from you. And please tell me where you heard the program, on what platform, uh, when you heard it. That would be very cool. That would help us with our marketing efforts. I promised you that I'd talk about teachers. Now, I spent 15 years as an adult in the Hillsborough County school system. And when I said that the first time, someone said, it took you 15 years to graduate? <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, I, I worked there. Um, worked there in a number of capacities. Uh, my my pay capacity was assistant teacher, but I worked in um, a number of very. I got to do a bunch of stuff. I got to be a, a band director uh, on temporary assignment more a, a couple of times, as a matter of fact. Once at Dowdell Middle School, now junior high school then, and then again at Adams uh, Middle School then. Uh, I got to do that which was cool. I did that. The Adam thing as a long-term sub. I worked in the EH department at one school. Most of my time was helping one-on-one -on -one with kids with <clears throat> who struggled in mathematics pass and uh, whatever the, the graduation test was, whatever the exit test was, kids who we thought were going to fail and then kids who had failed it as seniors and needed extra help. I got to do that. I worked in technology in all these schools so it was cool. I got to do a lot of stuff. I really did. You know, and, it, and I learned a lot and I met a lot of people, a lot of great people that I am friends with to this very day. Uh, but I'm kind of, I don't know, kind of in exile from some of them because I was kind of a heretic. I was kind of a heretic the whole time, frankly. I was kind of a heretic the whole time <clears throat> because I didn't buy into everything that a lot of my colleagues bought into as reasons for their suffering. And teachers are suffering right now. They are struggling right now. Um, this is about the time of the year that I decided I wasn't going back. I, it was about two weeks to go before um, it was time to report back to school. And I just stood actually in my living room, which is only about 10 or 12 feet from where I'm sitting right now. And I thought about it, and I'll tell you what, I got as sad as I had been since my mom passed away. I just, this, it just overwhelmed, this grief just overwhelmed me. So I knew I couldn't do it. As hard it was as it was going to be to call my principal Two weeks before school was back, two weeks before the teachers were supposed to come back and tell her that I wasn't coming back. As hard as that was. And my principal at the time was a friend of mine who I went to high school with and was I was in band with. And so I, I know that she felt like I owed her something because we were friends. I, and and she gave me a job, and I, I know that she felt like I, I I was letting her down, and I knew all this before I started dialing the number. But I just I didn't have any choice, you know. When something in your spirit is speaking that loudly, I mean, with that level of intensity, you have no choice but to act on it. Now, what I didn't tell her was that the that the year before, I could have left with no warning because I did find another job that I thought I was going to love. 
working for Disney Resorts, the phone operator. <laughs> and I interviewed for that job. And the next week they called me up and said, training starts Training starts Monday. Can you be there? They they called me, literally called me on Wednesday and said, training starts Monday. Can you be there? And I said, no, because I have to give my, my boss at least two weeks notice. We're in the middle of the school year. And the guy said to me, really? No one's ever turned us down. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to turn you down, but you don't want me to be that guy. And I swear, as it turned out, I was able to give her at least two weeks notice before I before I left. And I didn't even have anywhere to go when I left. This is how I left the school system. I didn't I didn't really have anywhere to go, but I know I had to go. So I'm so I understand teachers are struggling, y'all. They are absolutely struggling. The job <clears throat> has gotten progressively more difficult for all sorts of reasons. And a lot of it is because of parents. I have often said that it is not the newfangled kid that is the problem in education. It is a newfangled parent. The newfangled parent is more demanding. The newfangled parent is less aware. The newfangled parent is less of a parent. The newfangled parent is problematic to the child. And teachers have really never been able to say any of the things that I've said right now. And especially they can't say it in public because it is simply not done. You just don't blame the parent for a rotten kid. You just don't, right? It's not done. Although we all look at each other with that side eye. And go, hmm. One of the things about getting older is that you have stories. My, the, my first school, the first school I worked at, I was in the main office. I was, I don't know, I was signing in. I was doing something. I don't know what I was doing. Yeah, I was just farting around. I don't know what I was doing. Uh, I don't remember. But I remember a parent. Because a parent came in, he was at the main office, and he said that he wanted to speak to one of the assistant principals. And he didn't want to speak to the principal. The principal at the time was a black woman. Didn't want to talk to her. He wanted to speak to a white man. He didn't want to speak to a white woman. He wanted to speak to a white man. He wanted to speak to one of the assistant principals. And I thought, hmm, well, this is <laughs> this guy will probably get carted off to the who's scout here for causing a disturbance. So, of course, I, I listened in. And I am just sort of had my head down. And then I looked over at him. And I looked at his hat and it seemed to be some hieroglyphic writing until I got a closer look. And it was in this really weird font, but written backwards. It said, go F yourself. (laughs) Now he walked into school with a hat that had go F yourself on it. And he said he didn't want to speak to the black woman principal about misbehavior of his kid, of his kid. And I thought, damn, that explains a lot. <laughs> that explains a lot. I didn't, and I, I didn't know. And I'll, I'll tell you, I don't. I, and to this day, I don't know who the kid is or was, and I don't know who the parent was. I don't know anything else about them than that, because shortly after that. I think the white AP did come up and said that he wasn't going to talk to him. He would have to talk to the principal. Apparently the boy had been suspended or something. So um, he just told him that I'm not going to talk to you. You're going to have to talk to the principal. Now, whether he did or not, and at that point I, I, I had to, I just couldn't keep hanging out there. I had to go do something, act like I was earning my money. <laughs> I think I went to a lunchroom and had coffee. I'm not sure what I did, but um I can be pretty sure I didn't do anything too productive, but I had to leave. So I don't know how it worked out, but it sort of gave me, it opened up my eyes to, you know what? Sometimes it's, it's understandable what happens to the kid because the kid does have to live in that environment and they gain every, I mean, they gain everything they think about the outside world through the environment of their home. 
So I understand. I, I'm not excusing it, but at least I understand. At least I get it. Okay, I understand. I get it. I know how this ha all happened. Um, so I, I sort of took up the, the the mantra then, it's not the newfangled kid that's the problem, it's the newfangled parent. Uh, because I'm of that age group that that would have never happened when I was in school. If If you got suspended and your mom or dad had to come up to the school to get you back in school, they usually had you in tow and it had been ugly for you. <laughs> They're bringing you back to school so they don't murder you in your sleep. They can't beat you every They realize they can't beat you every day or they're going to kill you. <laughs> I, I had to get your ass back in school before I kill you. Cause I can't beat you every day. I can't beat you every time I look at you. <laughs> Those are the parents, black and white, that I grew up with, um, you know, during that time in my life. <laughs> so I, I'm, I was kind of amazed later in like 1980, that was 1985, I guess. 1980, yeah, 1985, 1986, um, that that was actually going on. That people came to the school, the parents came to the school with their swords drawn to fight the evil teacher, to fight the evil principal, to fight the evil um other students who pick on their kid you know it wasn't it wasn't ever their kid and this is worse than ever and teachers are struggling teachers are struggling with how to maintain order in the classroom so curriculum can be taught and i'll tell you what classroom management is the toughest part of being a teacher. It's not salary. It's not curriculum. It's classroom management. Because your kids don't behave any anything like they behave in school. They don't behave that like, like that anywhere else in their lives. They don't behave like that at your house. They don't behave that way in their in, in their youth group. They don't behave that way anywhere else in in their life but at school. And the gang mentality the mob mentality is alive and well in almost every damn classroom in America. So it is it is tough. And that's the part that you get the least amount of training in in every education school in America. That's the part that you get the least amount of training. No one tells you what to do when they won't shut up. I mean, it's very simple. No one tells you what to do when they won't be quiet. No one, you, you can't go to any book. All you can do is learn from the teachers that you're around and try things until you find something that works for you. Because if you try to imitate Mr. So-and-so, they'll go, oh, you're just trying to be like Mr. So-and-so. And they won't buy it. So you got to find something that works for you. <clears throat> and in the meantime, try to teach curriculum. And in the meantime, try to test. Now, um, so teachers are struggling. They struggle from the beginning. No one teaches you how to do that. <clears throat> the other part is that there are so many people from the exterior telling teachers what they ought to be doing. People who have never done it, telling people what they should be doing, telling them what, what teaching is like every day. You know, when I was first started working in the school system, I wasn't smart enough not to have <clears throat> arguments and discussions with my sister-in-law who would tell me, what was going on in schools? Forget that I had a job going there every day. That I, I every day. <laughs> every day in the middle of school. That was my life. Five days a week. Seven and a half hours a day. And at the time, she had kids in elementary. She had kids in elementary school. But she was sure as shooting. She knew exactly what was going on in middle schools. Everywhere. And I would tell her stuff and she would just tell me that that wasn't happening, except I was seeing it every day. I was living through it. I was ex I was experiencing it. And then back then, I didn't have the I didn't have the common sense or the I just wasn't smart enough not to argue with her. But she sort of <clears throat> gave me the picture of part of why teachers struggle, because there are so many voices from the exterior. Telling teachers what to do and how they should be doing it. We have so many, it was the first, you know, it's it kind of the, the first Facebook of the world of the people on the outside of the profession 
suddenly becoming experts. It's like, I was born in a hospital, but I can't tell you how to run one. And just because you went to a school doesn't tell you how to run one. So their voices of what they needed to do have been crushed and diminished for years. For years. And when you combine that with the willful abdication of that voice to teachers unions in search of higher pay, they have, in my opinion, further diminished their voice. So which is why they're struggling. You know what I'm saying? So they're struggling. Higher education has impinged its will on high on middle and high school teachers and elementary teachers they sort of decide that's a hierarchy that decides what should be taught and how it should be taught so what's starting to happen is that you're getting kids in middle school and high school who are who are least prepared to be in middle school and high school than ever because of what's not happening in elementary schools Elementary school teachers are dealing with all the social, <clears throat> all the social problems of the world, and trying to in- <clears throat> institute programs to solve them, all the way from from LGBTQ issues, racial issues, gun safety, <clears throat> every every social ill. Um, somebody thinks again, voices from the outside, the Facebook crowd that if we just taught them in school, then we could solve all of our society's problems. Well, with doing that, there's only X amount of time to teach them things like how to read, teach them how to add, multiply, subtract, and divide in their head, uh, grammar, history, civics, all the things you need to be a good citizen, which is where elementary school used to fall, is now everything you need now to be a good progressive. <clears throat> so th- that those are the kind of things that get pushed out. And teachers are suffering and struggling again in the next level at middle school and high school because those children are simply not prepared for what the universities and the Facebook crowd I'm using Facebook crowd as people from the outside are saying what needs to happen in these schools are relevant and rigorous curriculums. And that's true. But these students who are not prepared in elementary school do not have the prerequisite skills for rigorous and relevant curriculum. So teachers in middle school and high schools are stuck between a rock and a hard place trying desperately to do their jobs but their students are simply not prepared and they know they're not prepared and go back to what I said at the beginning of this. They dare not go back and blame parents for not making, for making sure that these kids are prepared for this rigorous and relevant curricula. So they're stuck. So they're struggling and they believe they're, they're underappreciated and they believe they're underpaid. They are struggling. My thought is that if teachers are interested, if they're interested in remaining in the in profession, in the profession, if they are interested <clears throat> in not struggling, then they're going to have to, without any doubt in my mind, reclaim their classrooms. I'm going to say this and a lot of my friends who are teachers are not going to like what I'm going to say next. But I believe this like I'm fat. There is too much estrogen in teaching, in education in America. And especially at the the elementary, middle, and high school level. Because it seems to me that a lot of these women, especially when they're younger, simply 
are trying to please their bosses and they're trying to please uh, the Facebook crowd and they're trying to please the society. So they put themselves out there in ways that can and, and involve themselves in programs that can never, ever, ever succeed for all the reasons that they already know. And they, they, they can't solve all of society's problems with some sort of program in their schools because they have X number of hours. Let me give you another example because I mentioned <clears throat> my, um, my, my poor tuneness, my fatness, is society says that we have in, in, in America uh, an obesity problem, right? So you have that. Now, we also are, have a problem, according to society, of making sure that our kids are at the same level as kids from foreign countries, other developed foreign countries. So what do we do? We get rid of recess in elementary school. So we take these little kids and we fill them with carbohydrates at lunch and then we put them in a classroom and then we expect them to sit quietly with their hands folded, sucking in all of this knowledge about, uh, about Billy has two mommies right and racial sensitivity when we're not teaching math english social studies and science and then we are disappointed all the hell when they can't do algebra and they're fat this is why teachers are struggling because teachers already see this especially the, the experienced teachers the experienced teachers already saw this and continue to see it coming they already have and they're frustrated because they don't believe, they, they don't think they're being paid enough. They don't think they're being appreciated enough for what they know. And they are they are their hands are tied and their and their mouths are gagged. Teachers are struggling. Teachers take back your classrooms. I wrote in a um, <clears throat> and I had to stop posting and I stopped actually I didn't get out of the group, but I stopped getting notifications. There's a, a group here. Um, that is rebuilding, that's called Rebuilding Education, uh, a message to Governor DeSantis here in Florida. I was in the group and I was getting notifications because you can only be invited in the group and I was invited in the group by a good friend of mine. And what I noticed is that this is a, this group is full of people who are, who are struggling mightily, people who are hurt mightily. It's nothing like they thought it would be. And my advice to them that frankly, frankly wasn't very well received is when you close your door to your classroom, do the right thing. Do what you know to do. And then most of them was like, you know, you, you haven't done it for a while, so you don't understand the pressure. Well, I understand the pressure. But I understand the importance of doing the right thing more than I understand the pressure. More than I'm willing to acquiesce to the pressure is I understand that it's more important to do the right thing, which is why I do this. Believe me, there's pressure to shut up. And I walk a fine line doing this and <clears throat> trying to do the other things that I do. So make money for my, you know, for my family so we can stay indoors and have food. You understand what I'm saying? So this is because I don't get paid for what I'm doing right now. This is this is not an income source for me. It isn't, and I don't get to do it nearly as much as I was doing it before because I had to get another job. So I understand that there's pressure on you. And then my other job, golly, most of them, if they heard, you know, if, if the people who hired me heard this program, there's a really good chance they would have never hired me in the first place. So it is a fine line I walk, but I know it's the thing to do. And the right thing to do is always the thing to do. The right thing to say is always the thing to say. All right, folks. Well, thanks so much. I'm a little over time, but I did my best. So until we see you again, go out there and learn something, love somebody, and for goodness sakes, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart, y'all take care of yourself. We will see you when we see you. Bye-bye now. <laughs>